privilege it is to be here this evening and back at back in 2000 and uh, had just taken Pleasure Ridge Baptist Church in Ellisville, followed Dr. Herschel Bragg, and had received a flyer from y'all. Is it on? I turned on, so it's not, so we'll go this way. And uh, they said, do you want the Britney Spears or the lapel? I said, I don't want anything Britney Spears, so I want the lapel. And it doesn't work either, so amen. But uh, as I was saying, I was pastoring uh, Pleasure Ridge Baptist Church, Ellisville, Mississippi. That's where uh, Brother Coates uh, met. His family was there. We worked together in the church. And I received a flyer, and y'all were having a preacher by the name of Ed Ballou. I had never heard of Ed Ballou, and I was looking at the uh, paper, and I showed it to Brother Bragg, and uh, I said, I don't know anything about a Central Baptist Church, or Jerry George, or an Ed Ballou. Uh, I didn't know if this was a cult or what or anything. He just sent me the flyer, and Brother Bragg said, when are we going? And I said, well, I didn't know I was going, but hey, let's go. And uh, we just fell in love, and this church always welcomed us every time we came, and uh, what a blessing it was, and so every time I come by Central Baptist, I always think of uh, Ed Ballou and looking at me and my God-given eyeballs, and uh, I was an Indian, and I'll scalp you and all those things that he had, but he was a tremendous preacher of the Word of God. But I also think of Central Baptist Church, I thank you so much for the support of the Beams ministry over the years. I know Brother Fret would want me to bring his greetings. He and Miss Frida uh, have... Uh, pretty much moved to Pennsylvania. He's been traveling up there visiting a couple churches since they've moved, and so you continue to pray for them. Uh, in June of this year, they passed the sword. Literally, we had a passing of the sword service, and Dr. Fret passed the sword to me to be the executive director of the Beams Ministry. I've been with the Beams Ministry for 10 years now, worked as assistant to the director, associate director, and now the executive director, and a Beams missionary. And so my wife and I, we do travel wherever is needed to present the Beams Ministry. And I know you're very familiar with it, with Brother Dombeck being out of this church, and you support many of our missionaries and be a part of the Beams Ministry. So I want to thank you for that. Thank you for praying for us. As we've gone through COVID, just like you, many challenges. As you read of the missionaries, many of their countries closed down. And in fact, everything shut down except for some border addresses for a couple months uh, in uh, 2020. But those have opened up. Still many countries are closed down. Some of the missionaries we can send Bibles to. But due to the restrictions, they're not able to have church. They're only able to do uh, online services, online counseling with their folks. And so they've told us to hold the Bibles because they can't get out and give the Bibles and they don't want to stockpile. So you pray for those missionaries. Some of them uh, are in severe lockdown. They're only able to be out of their house one hour a day. And if they're too far from their home, they are, will be arrested. And so many crazy things are happening around the world just with the other things that missionaries deal with. So we thank the Lord that our numbers are up for Bibles being sent out. We are averaging up to 7,000 now. We had gone down last year, uh, 7,000 a month, and we're looking forward to going even further. The VBS project, you may have helped with us and given towards that project, was Spanish Bibles going to Bolivia. We were able to get those 5,000 Bibles prepared, and they are sent and on a container and be heading over to Bolivia. You pray 
the uh, Bibles that we raised, uh, the funds we raised for the Bibles to go to Burma uh, because of COVID, ports closing. Those Bibles are still in the warehouse. We believe we're going to be able to get those loaded in a container and get those sent over to Thailand and then be distributed into Burma, Myanmar. So you continue to pray with us, pray for the Beams ministry, pray for the missionaries on the foreign fields, and we thank you because the greatest book in all the world is the Bible. And what would you do without a Bible? In times like this, I go to the Word of God for comfort. When I look around the world, and it seems like it's gone absolutely crazy, uh, from the politics to uh, the medical professions to just every area, people have seemed to really gone nuts. And where do we get our comfort? Where do we get our strength? But the Word of God. And if you were a child of God and didn't have the Bible, what would you do? As we always say, many of us have multiple copies in our homes, and uh, there are those preachers that only have portions of Scripture. There are those that they have one Bible, maybe for the whole church to study, and Jesus told us to search the Scriptures. He also told us that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. So let's take our Bible tonight, and let's go to the book of Psalm, Psalm 37, as you're turning there, I was reminded of Morris and Esther. I don't know if you uh, heard about Morris and Esther, but every year they would go to the state fair. They just loved going to the state fair, and I grew up in western Pennsylvania. We had a county fair every year, and man, that was just a highlight to go. But this particular fair seemed to always have, for years, had helicopter rides. And you would go there and just pay a few dollars, and they'd take you up a little bit and bring you back down. Well, Morris was fascinated with that and the thought of uh, flying in a helicopter. And so every year he would go by and he would say to Esther, he said, Esther, I want to go up in that helicopter. And she would look at him and she would say, you know, Morris, I love you and I'd love for you to fly in that helicopter. But, you know, $10 is $10. And, and it just kept going on. And $15 is $15. And year after year. Well, it got to the point that Esther hated to go to the county fair because she knew Morris was going to look for that stupid helicopter, and he was going to want to ride that helicopter. Well, sure enough, they showed up at the county fair, and Morris and his six cents right, right to the helicopter ride. There it was. He looked at Esther and said, I want to ride in that helicopter. And Esther, she looked at her, and the tone he knew was coming she said, you know, I love you, Morris, and I'd love for you to ride that helicopter. But you know, Morris, $50 is $50. He's like, but Esther, I want to ride in that helicopter. And she's like, I know, but $50, $50, that's a lot of money. They kept going on. He looked at her and he said, Esther, I'm 85 years old. If I don't ride in this helicopter now, I'm never going to get a chance. And she said, I know, I understand, but $50 is $50. Well, it was pretty slow that day, and the pilot overheard the conversation. He came up, and he said, folks, I'll tell you what I'll do. Uh, I will, sir, I'll take you up for a ride, and if you don't make any sound... The ride is free, it's on me, and you enjoy it. But if you holler out, make one squeal, one noise, then it's $50. And uh, Morris said, I'll take you up on it. Esther said, you're not going without me. I'm going to make sure you don't say anything, because $50 is $50. So in the helicopter they go, up they go, not a peep. He starts doing some maneuvers, not a sound. Well, he starts getting daring because he's going to lose money. 
did everything he could except for crash that helicopter, not a word. So he heads on back, and as he's getting ready to land, he goes across the intercom, and he says, Folks, I am impressed. I have never had a, a couple that I have not been able to make squeal, and I'm a man of my word, and it was a privilege to take you up, and this ride is free. Moore spoke up and said, Well, I almost said something when Esther fell out, but you know, $50 is $50. So, wives, you be careful about that uh, with your husband and that $50. If you found your place in Psalm 37 and willing to and able to, would you stand for the reading of God's Word tonight? I want to read a few verses of Scripture and uh, talk about how to respond to the great riddle of life. Verse 1 in Psalm 37 we read, Fret not thyself because of evildoers. Neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and withered as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And it shall bring forth, and he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger, and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. Father, we love you, and we thank you, Lord, for the privilege to stand behind this pulpit. Lord, I pray that you would be with Pastor Andrews, and Lord, as he's tending to the business at hand. And Lord, as Brother Harris said, Lord, this didn't take you by surprise. So God, I pray that you will anoint me from on high, preach through me, speak to hearts, work and move in this service. Bless the master clubs and those that are in the back, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Riddles can be fun and they can be enjoyable, though we find in the Word of God that Samson, he gave a riddle uh, at his wedding so that it infuriated those men that they messed and threatened with uh, his wife. And he has that uh, famous scripture where, uh, verse where he calls his wife a heifer and said, if you wouldn't mess with my heifer, I've never had the guts to use that term with my wife. And uh, maybe that's why I've still been married for, uh, all these years. But we find that people lost their lives because of the riddle. Well, in this passage of scripture the psalmist here, David, is writing about a great riddle of life. Even in the treasury of David, uh, they write and talk about this prosperity of the wicked and the affliction of the righteous. We're looking around today, and as we see our society and look around the world and even some countries, we look and say there seems to be uh, something is not right. Those that want to serve God, those who want to be faithful, those that want to do right, uh, seem to be under affliction. They seem to be under persecution. They seem to be having more problems. And those that are wicked and those that are living vile seem to be prospering. They seem to be advancing. Everything seems to be going their way. And, and it just seems to be uh, so unfair. It seems to be wrong. It seems to be such a great riddle. How do we put this together? How does this all come about? Well, David here is dealing under the inspiration of the, the scripture of the Holy Spirit here in these scriptures about how to deal 
with or how to respond to the great riddle of life. He starts off and he gives us some things that we don't need to do. And then he gives us some things that we need to do, how we need to respond. But also in this psalm, he gives us the key to help us respond properly. So you may be looking at the world, you may be looking at things, and you may be saying it seems like the wicked are prospering and going more and more, and those that are doing right seems to be fading off to the side, and it just don't seem right, and I, I, it begins to work on you. Well, David says in the five wrong responses to the riddle of life, first of all, he said first, in number, verse number one, he said, fret not. You see, when you start thinking on them and you start dwelling on them, you begin to fret. I looked up that word fret, and it means to scrape, to gnaw. It gives a sense of uneasiness, roughness, and substance, uh, like the appearance given to fluids by agitation. In other words, we could say to rub. Just to kind of rub raw. Some people will use that. That person just rubs me the wrong way. That person just rubs me. Well, inside, fretting is looking and seeing the evil, seeing their prospering, and, and looking at this riddle of life, and you're just saying it's not right, it's not fair, and it just begins inside of you, just begins to rub. It begins to gnaw at you. It begins to just kind of wear you away. Well, if you continue to do that with your hands, you'll know what will happen. It'll soon begin to heat up, and pretty soon you'll start wearing away the layers of skin. And if you were to continue putting that friction and letting that fret away, before long you would literally destroy your hands. David is saying, don't let that fret, don't let that come in, don't let that be working and to corrode as Webster described it, to gnaw away, to ear away as, as worm frets the planks of a ship. We're looking around and we're seeing a lot of people today that are fretting on the inside. They're just, they're just wearing out, they're just gnawing away, they're just fretting as a piece of rope rubbing on the side of a ship. It's just fretting out, coming to the point where it's not able to be used. Not only does he say that we ought not to be fretting about uh, because of evildoers, and uh, we're not to be envious in verse number one. Be thou envious, be, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. To envy is to have pain, uneasiness, mortification, or discontent, excited by the sight of another's superiority or success, accomplishment, with some degree of hatred or malignity, and often or usually with a desire or an effort to depreciate the person, and with pleasure in seeing him depressed. Envy springs from pride, ambition, or love. Mortified that another has obtained what one has a strong desire to possess. So he's saying, don't fret, but he says, don't be thou envious. Desiring to have, because really what is happening is, is you feel that you should have that. You feel that you should be getting those things. That that should be yours, that pride coming in. Proverbs 3.31 says, Envy thou not the oppressor, and choose none of his ways. In chapter 14 of verse 30, it says, A sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy the rottenness of the bones. 
Envy the rottenness of the bones. See that envy and seeing that person and fretting all over it, it just begins to work inside. Oh, maybe on the outside you've got a good exterior, but this stuff that is going on inside, and every time you see them and every time you hear about it, boy, it just... just takes those feelings and that envy and that, that uh, fretting begins to continue to agitate inside of you. But the Bible tells us not to be envious of them because we see these things are building up. There's that fretting. There is that, that envy. And then we look over in verse number 8. <clears throat> we'll jump around some of these verses and see. He says this in verse number 8, Cease from anger. You see that fretting wearing away at you and then that envy and it's building up and he is saying cease from, from anger. Anger is defined to choke, strangle. Whence anger, vexation, anguish, to strangle, to strain, to draw together, to vex. The primary sense is to press, squeeze, make narrow, to strangle. A violent passion of the mind excited by a real or supposed injury. Boy, you're, you're looking at the evil person and they're, they're seeming to prosper and, and you're looking at them and you're fretting and that envy comes in and then David's saying, you cease from that anger. You have that desire to, to strangle. It's still inside, but it's boiling up. A good friend of mine that was in my church that I pastored in Texas, he would describe it this way when he would get irritated with somebody. He said, I would like to just reach up and regulate their air a little bit. He never said that he strangled them or wanted to strangle. He just wanted to regulate their air until their thinking and their thought process got in line with him. Well, I would define that as anger based on what, what I've read here. And he realized that and know that he not to have that. But that's what passion is building up inside of you. Do you see what's happening? You're dwelling, you're thinking on this, you're fretting, you're envying, and this anger, this desire to act out. Colossians 3.8 says, But now ye also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, Filthy communication out of your mouth. Ephesians 4.26 Be ye angry and sin not. I can get that first part, be ye angry. I struggle with that and sin not part. I really struggle, so it's better for me not to get angry. Amen? Uh, but he, the Word of God telling us not to be angry. He's saying you're looking and it's perceived the, the evil. He didn't say, hey, the evil is not prospering. He didn't say the evil is not doing well in this world. What he is saying is, how are you responding? You see, I can't, uh, had, I am not responsible for what you do. I'm responsible for how I respond to what you do. I, I've got the responsibility for me. I don't have the responsibility for you. Your actions, you're going to stand before God. But I am responsible to God how I respond to what you are doing. So this anger, then he says this in verse number 8, and forsake wrath. Wrath is violent anger. You don't just have the desire inside to strangle them. You're really contemplating. You're really getting ready. It is, you know, that teapot, you know. Somebody's saying, I've had it up to here with somebody. Boy, you're getting to that boiling point. This thing is just festering inside. <clears throat> this the 
this riddle, this uh, perceived evil, this perceived wrong that you're being done to you and it's not right. This injustice is just fretting and, and you're envying what they have because you want that and you want those things in life. And the anger is building up and now it is building up to a wrath. And then he tells us in verse number 8, And fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. Why? Because that's what is going to come out. That evil, unjust or injurious to defraud. You've decided I'm going to take matter into my own hands. My boss don't like me and, and he's treating me poorly in this person, so it's okay for me to take some equipment from him. I, I, he, he paid this person or he did this for this other employee, so this is okay for me to do this and for him to be injured. Folks, we saw in our own country people burning down cities and neighborhoods and businesses. Why? Because they believed they had an injustice done to them. And they let it fret and they let it build up to the point where they just acted out and they said, we're, we're done with it. We're living in a society that says, hey, you go ahead and respond this way. What David is saying for us not to do, what God is saying for us not to do, our society is saying, well, that's just acceptable and it is okay because this was done to them. David is saying, I see what you're talking about. David is saying, I'm experiencing this. Well, God is saying, that's not the way we are to respond. So let's look at the six proper responses. We saw the five improper responses, six proper responses to the riddle of life. We look back and verse number three, very simply, trust in the Lord. Now that's something that we all say to trust and, and to put uh, our faith and trust in God, but do we really? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, probably a verse that many of you could quote here on a Wednesday night. It says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Trust in the Lord. What does it mean to trust in the Lord? Putting that whole heart, uh, the psalmist or the writer of Proverbs says, with all thine heart. What, what is example? When my girls were growing up, the Lord has blessed Ron and I with two daughters. And uh, my daughter Chelsea completely trusted in her dad. She thought it was fun that if I set her on this platform, she would jump off to me. The problem was, if I was in the vicinity, whether I was looking at her or not, she would jump because she completely trusted that I would catch her. If I said it was okay growing up and we were gone, if a storm was happening and she was fearful or Clarissa was fearful and I said it's okay, uh, then they would look at their mama and say, Mama, don't be worried. It's okay. Daddy said it was okay. Why? Because they had complete trust in me. Do you have that kind of trust in God? Are you trusting God that though everything is going crazy and the world has seems to have lost their mind and evil is seeming to rise and prosper and the righteous seem to uh, be backing up and being persecuted more and more. Do you trust God enough to believe he's got it all under control? Now it's easy to say that in here, but what about as you go out and live your life? Trust in the Lord, not trust in the government, not trust in this person, but trust in the Lord. 
Let me just throw this in as a kind of side note. You know how trust comes about? Trust is built from being around somebody, from knowing somebody, from seeing somebody's action. How much time are you, have you spent lately finding out about God and knowing more of Him? The old saying, you know, Paul, he was completely trusting the Lord and he can rejoice in the Lord and be in prison and do all that. Why? He trusted in the Lord. And then not only does he say that, that to trust in the Lord, but he says this in verse 3, and do good. Do good. You see, Jesus told us, he said, love your enemies. So that sounds different than wanting to reach up and regulate their air. To resort to evil. There's, there's a big difference. Now God says, there's your enemies. You're like, all right, God. Now there's my enemies. What am I to do with them? Love them. Wait a second, God. I think you said I'm to love that person. Do you know what kind of idiot they are? Do you know what a horrible, wicked, vile person they are? Do you realize they tried to close our church down? Do you realize they tried to close my business down? Do you realize they tried to take everything from me? Jesus says, love your enemies. Do good. Around our house, we have a saying, when you don't know what to do, do what you know to do. When you're looking at it, say, how can I fix this problem? And all these things are happening. Do what you know to do. Keep serving God. Keep doing good. Love your enemies. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Several years ago when I was uh, first starting pastor and a friend of ours in the, in the family, an older preacher, and we were talking, and he was telling me about a man in his church that he was in a situation and they had brought some uh, kids in, and he didn't like who the kids were, and, and the pastor was laying in the hospital uh, having some uh, cancer treatments or something. He was really sick in the hospital, and this guy came to the hospital, blasted him out of the water about how he wasn't right and what he was doing with the church and bring them all in, up and left the church while the preacher's in the hospital, took people out of the church, tore the church all up, and he said, you know, he said, I just wanted to kill that guy. How dare he hate them little kids? How dare he do this to the church? He said, I knew it wasn't right. And God said, I'm to love him. He said, God, I don't know how to love him. He said, he got a picture of him, put it on his refrigerator. And he said, I'd look at it every day. He said, make myself, I love you and pray for him every day. He said, you know, it wasn't long that I could meet him on the street. And I didn't want to regulate his air. Well, he didn't say that. I put that in. But love your enemies. But then he says this in verse number four. Now, a lot of folks like the last part of verse number four. And he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. You say, well, that verse doesn't work. I mean, down on the coast, we're having cruising the coast. And I've seen a lot of things that my heart desires driving up and down. And they're not in my driveway. All right. I jump in that 06 GMC in my pickup truck. And I'm like, Lord, you know those nice new 50s that they read? No. God says, what are we to do first? Delight thyself also in the Lord. Is your enjoyment in the Lord? Is it in the Lord? Do you delight in Him to have a high degree of pleasure or satisfaction of mind, joy, that which gives pleasure? Does spending time with God and in His Word 
give you pleasure? Do you delight in him? When my wife and I were dating, man, I just wanted to be around her. I would drive nine and a half hours home from college just to spend a weekend, get off from class, five o'clock in the evening, drive straight home, and I would spend as much time till her dad kicked me out of the house and then go back and be there first thing in the morning, sometimes drive all night just in time to go back to class and not sleep. Why? Because I could spend just a little bit more time with her. You say, what did we do? Nothing. I was in college. It took every dime to get home. Sometimes I was going back in a prayer and fumes to get back to campus. But I was with her. You see, and then I started finding out what made her happy. And that made me happy. I don't like the shop. I really don't like the shop. She doesn't like to go look at cars. But I will go shopping with her because I delight in her. And she will go look at cars with me because I think she delights in me or wants me to buy some. I don't know. No, she delights in me. But you understand that's a very earthly thing. But do you delight in the Lord? The Bible tells us, Psalm 1-2, that blessed man, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. You can't separate the word, Jesus, from God the Father. They're one and the same. So not only do you delight, we see the next thing he tells us to do. Not only delight, but commit thy way unto the Lord. Literally, to send upon, to throw upon, or lay upon. Hence, to give in trust. To put into the hands or power of another to entrust with. That way, that course of life. Now, if you're here tonight and you know Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, you say, I've given my life to Him. I'm serving Him. I'm in the center of God's will. Then your life, your way right now has been committed to Him. And where you're at, if you're right with Him and you're serving Him and you're walking with Him, then this is what He wants you to have. And if you're trusting in him and you're delighting in him, then you're good with that. But you see, when we start veering off and fretting and looking and we're saying, I want that, then we're saying, God, you're not providing for me efficiently. You're not doing what you're supposed to do, God. And then we see in verse number seven, rest in the Lord. Do you rest in him? We have a lot of people that are not resting. Old people go take naps. People are trying to do that. But Jesus said, come unto me, all ye labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The body is at rest when it ceases to move. The mind is at rest when it ceases to be disturbed or agitated. We live in a society, in a world, in a country that is blessed financially and materially more than any nation in the world. And we probably have pe more people on medication to calm nerves than any country in the world. Do we rest in the Lord? It's not always easy, but he says rest in the Lord. And then he says wait patiently. Wait patiently for him. Are you waiting for him? Are you waiting for him to work? Are you waiting for him to, to lead? You know what it says in Isaiah 40, 31, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God wants us to rest in him. 
He doesn't want us to be agitated all the time. That's why he said, come unto me. The world is agitated. They don't have Christ. We as Christians, we should be different. We should be calm in the midst of chaos. Why? Because we went to God and God gave us a peace, a peace that passes all understanding and we can rest and wait in Him. You say, well, Brother Lockard, that sounds good. I understand that. I see those five wrong responses. Those are bad. Those are wicked. I agree. Those six responses that are proper, I see. Those are right. Those are proper. But you know what? That's tough. Uh, what can I do? What's a key? What will help me to have the proper response? Well, quickly we find that he tells us what to do. He says in verse number 10, remember the fate of the wicked. He said, for yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. Yea, thou shalt diligently, diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. Verse 13 says, the Lord shall laugh at him. Verse 15 says, his own sword shall pierce his heart. Verse 17 says, his arms broken. Verse 20 says, they shall perish. Verse 38 says, they'll be destroyed and cut off. The Revelation chapter 20 and verse 14 and verse through 15, we hear about a lake of fire. You see, those uh, wicked, those evil people that don't accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, you need to stop and realize where their place is, folks. God is may allowing them to live because He's a long-suffering God and He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Let's remember that their end is a place called hell which will be cast into the lake of fire and they will burn for all eternity. And the best that they have it here is the best that they will ever have it. Remember, they're not getting away. No one gets away with sin. Folks, those of us that are saved, our sin, we didn't get away with it. Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sin on Calvary. Our sin was judged on Jesus Christ. We've been forgiven. But those that choose to reject the Son will pay for their sins throughout all eternity. And when you read and study the lake of fire, what a horrible, horrible thing. And the worst thing is, is they'll be separated from a loving God, but they will not be separated from the presence of a judge, a holy God that is judging them. And throughout all eternity, I believe every opportunity they had to be saved, every track they stepped over, every church they passed, every preacher, every person that tried to witness to them, I believe will ring throughout their minds throughout all eternity. How horrible is that? So when you look at them and you see what they're doing and seeing they're anti-God and going away from God, you say, oh, that is foul. But if they don't change, if they don't repent, they're going to spend eternity in hell. And then second, remember, remember where our eternal abode is. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. My citizenship is not here. 
See, that's the problem. We're, we're focused here. We're too terrestrial. We're, we're not eternal. We're living. We're tethered to time instead of tethered to eternity. You read the book of Philippians, and as you study and read through the book of Philippians, Paul is writing and saying, man, I'm ready to go. I want to be in heaven. I can rejoice. Why? Because this is only temporary, and I want to be in heaven, and I want to be with God. But God says it's more necessary for you, for me, to be here. So I'll gladly be here and I'll rejoice in the Lord. But my heart's desire is to be in heaven and His desire is for everyone else to go with Him. Because why? He said all the things that Paul went through and I've gone through not even a fraction of what he suffered. And he calls it, but our light affliction. Why? How could he say that? Well, compared to this world and looking around at others, we'd say, boy, that wasn't shipwrecked and beaten and prisoned and stoned and all those things you went through, Paul. Light affliction. One of them rocks hit you in the head, son. You're not thinking clearly. But he says, oh, no, I'm thinking very clearly because I've got a home. Just like Abraham, he was looking for that city whose builder and maker is God. So in other words, to respond correctly to the great riddle of life, you must look at life in light of eternity. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. So folks, this world is not equal. It is not fair. If you're here and you know Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, and you're trying to serve God, and you say it seems like the evil are abounding and they're just prospering and I'm not, don't be surprised. Jesus said, the world hated me. They'll hate you because you're not of them. Remember, this is only the training ground. This is only preparation. Your rewards are waiting for you in heaven. And this is just a small bit of time, but a vapor here for a moment and gone. But if you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, eternity is as long for you. But it's terrible and horrible, that place called hell. But you don't have to go there. Because as Jesus told us to love our enemies and those that hate us, Jesus came to die for your sin. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And we invite you to come. And let us show you from the Word of God how you can be saved. Folks, it's a riddle, and it can be confusing and frustrating. But when you realize what is waiting for us, by God's grace and God's power, we can respond to it in a way that our light will so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. Let's stand with our heads bowed.